HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by greatbrewers.com, a social media marketing platform dedicated to promoting the world's great brewers and the beers they create. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's June 11th, 2013. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 in the Good Beer Seal. Joined tonight by my good buddy Dave Broderick from Blind Tiger. Hey, Jimmy, how you doing? Dave, you're like making waves in Vermont. Worthy burger, worthy kitchen. What's going on? Well, we're, uh, there's nobody up there. So uh, we decided to go in, and it's been, re- it's been really pretty good so far. So wh- what's going on? You've got Worthy Burger, Worthy Kitchen. Uh, people at the Burlington Airport are, are saying, what, what should you do in Vermont? You should come to the Worthy Burger. Yeah, I don't know who that was. I really liked them, though. Um, yeah, it's, uh, we started with the Worthy Burger. We just sort of did it as a hobby uh, in South Royalton, tiny little town. I think it's like six or 700 people. And um, it, it just took off way more than we thought. Uh, my partner, One of my partners had to quit his job and start running it. And... Uh, it's, it, it's tough work if you can get it. Exactly. Welcome back to the show, man. We haven't Thanks, seen man. you in a while, and we're drinking. We'll raise our glasses. Peak Skill, Eastern Standard IPA, our good buddy Chief, Jeff O'Neill. He's our, our favorite brewer in the New York region, I think, and he's a good buddy of yours. And we've also got in the studio tonight uh, Jan and Jerry from Sierra Nevada. Uh, you guys are here in New York. You're, the Saver event is coming to uh, New York City this weekend, and you guys are a big part of it at Sierra Nevada. So what beers will you be pouring at Saver this weekend? We'll be pouring two of our specialties. Uh, one is the Hoptimum, our Imperial IPA, and the other, which is uh, what we're going to be drinking in a little bit, the Ovila Saison, brewed with mandarin, oranges, and peppercorns. All right. And also later in the show, we have Katie Parler and John Lumbaum on to talk about Italian craft beer. So this is going to be a jam-packed show. Uh, first, we have a, a special call-in. Um, you know, our good buddy John Richards has been working for many years on the documentary about Michael Jackson, the great late beer writer. And tonight in New York City, we're proud to be co-hosting uh, the, the New York City premiere of Beer Hunter the Movie. And uh, John Richards, are you on the line right now? Yep, Jimmy. How you doing? How you doing, John? So just a little background. Uh, a few months ago, our good friend Seth Wright, who's uh, you might know him as Beer Nation Show, it's an internet beer show. He was also a, a, a child actor on MTV at one point. Now he's a New York City subway engineer. So he's covered all his bases. But he was really excited, and he said, Jimmy, let's host a... a a screening of uh, Beer Hunter the Movie. And it turned out that we were doing the New York City premiere tonight in Anthology Film Archives. By the time any of you listen to this, it may be over, but we're also going to be doing a screening at Jimmy's Number 43 on June 22nd and 23rd. But we wanted to schedule it tonight because this is the week of Saver. And we thought, uh, why not echo back to uh, Michael Jackson, who was really, you know, look at the start of American Craft Beer. Our friend Tom Acatelli has his book, The Audacity of Hops, out. And he's going to be at the event tonight as well. And as I was reading through it, I, I was like, wow, almost every chapter. He's talking about Michael Jackson. So Michael Jackson had already had his name in, in England as a beer writer, and he came at an early age uh, to America and really supported all the, the new small breweries. And Dave, I don't know, you, you must have met Michael Jackson in, in your time. Yeah, he was a great storyteller and, and, uh, and was just so into what was going on here. He really loved American breweries, and, and I, you know, I think he really helped us at a time when we, we really needed it. 
you know, gave us kind of that stamp of credibility. Because yeah, I know even uh, in the early days when Ken Grossman and and what's the other guy's name? Uh, was it Paul? Who was the other Ken Camusi or something? Paul. <laughs> I don't know these yeah. guys' names. Come on. <laughs> But whoever started Sierra Nevada, I know Michael Jackson was out there and encouraging all the new the new small brands back then in the you know what eighties. Yeah, yeah, like back that. in the eighties, you know he was a he was seminal in sort of getting sort of craft beer, writing his books, getting out. You know he was prolific in how much he traveled and getting around, tasting beers, coming into town. You know, going to the Great American Beer Festival um, really early on and really helping people sort of sort of get close to that. That, that craft movement, you know, where it seemed, you know, it, it seems somewhat, you know, shut off to a lot of people, and he sort of made it real for you. So who are the two founders of Sierra Nevada? Paul and, and Ken Grossman. What was Paul's last name? Uh, Kusumano. <laughs> <I think it's laughs> so I'm, re- I'm reading the book, you know, and uh, I, I, can, I can never remember names, but I, it's just so cool bringing it back to, to John that, that his movie is about Michael Jackson. It's really Michael Jackson is one reason why there's so many great craft breweries in America. And uh, that all leads us up to Sever. So everybody's Sever, Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson, Saber. We're trying to just also bring it back because most people don't know. I mean, he died in 2007. And uh, who knows who Michael Jackson is? And he, and he hasn't, you know, in terms of the writing, he hasn't really been replaced yet. You know, there hasn't been that go-to person that everybody kind of looks up to. Um, I think we're still trying to figure out, you know, who that is. You know, in a very real way, you talk to beer writers today. I mean, Michael Jackson invented the role of beer writer. There is the career of beer writer because of Michael Jackson. It's really a monumental force in the industry. Yep. And that's John Lundbaum. He's here. Hey, John, so tell us tell us more about the movie. Tell us what's going on. Well, I was just going to add just something quick to that. You know, somebody had mentioned an interesting point that he his timing was great, too. You know, he hit the scene when people weren't really looking at beer history, so he had the advantage of uh, a pretty wide open canvas at his disposal. So he kind of taught us that, you know, it's hard to be, he was the first to most of these breweries and really the first to go back into the roots of uh, of the European tradition. So he had that, the advantage of definitely being there kind of before a lot of other people did. Um, but anyway, um, he did a really, and I can't imagine anybody, you know, more eloquent at uh, educating us. Uh, John, when we, when we first met you about two years ago, uh, you started telling us about your, your dream to finish this movie, Beer Hunter, the movie. Um, tell us about how you first started working with Michael Jackson. I mean, when he was alive, you, you were filming him and planning a, a series, weren't you? Yeah, we started. I, I got a job doing videos, uh, video production for the Rare Beer Club and their sister club, the Vineyard Wine Club. So I uh, just was traveling around the world, stopping at vineyards and, and then meeting up with Michael here and there to do uh, beer stuff. And, uh, you know, after the first meeting with him, it just was so apparent that this guy, you know, he had a television show and he, he was just had so much knowledge and such a great personality. I kind of knew about him. I didn't know a whole lot about him. Um, but, you know, we realized right away that, you know, we, we, had to, we should try to take something on a little bigger scope than just the videos for the beer club. And, uh, we, you know, we just started shooting for a documentary. We just kind of called the, doc- the documentary. We didn't know what it was going to be. There was really not a lot of um, production planning. You know, with Michael, it was kind of show up. And no, neither of us ever really knew where we were going. And it was just a guerrilla kind of approach of just follow him around. And I look back now and I wish I... Uh, I wish I'd done it a little differently. It's it's boss, but at the same time, you know, it was just great raw footage, and so we started uh, doing that. And we, you know, towards the, the second year, we were in Philly. I remember having this breakfast with him, and we just said, "Let's do the Beer Hunter again." And that by that point, the internet video was starting to to emerge, and we thought, you know, if, if the network doesn't want it, we'll get it on on the internet. And I can't think of a better way to reach beer fans than, than the internet, you know, even at that time. And then, uh, you know, not too long after that, he passed away. So, ready to go from there. So, when 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 did you start shooting him? Or what year? Two thousand and four and two thousand and five were were the big years. Um, that's when I, I got most of my footage. We shot a little tiny bit. We were, I was on a trip with uh, uh, Sam and Vinny and Tommy and uh, Rob Todd and. Um, those guys up uh, the, the Belgic Palooza trip, you know, where they went back to Belgium, and we kind of jumped on that at the last minute. And uh, Michael, actually, we ran into Michael over uh, uh, in Belgium briefly, which was great. But that was the last I saw him. That was in 2006. So, so what was the thing that you think set him apart as, you know, as a writer and kind of a beer personality? 
way life thing set him apart. Yeah. You know, and a lot of people made this point in, in our interviews. He was uh, really more about people in history, and geography, and music, and, and really about beer. And, and you know, granted, beer was, I mean, he had an amazing palate that, um, you know, nobody could describe the flavors in beers like Michael could. Um, but really, at the end of the day, his writing, he's a journalist, his background is he prefer he was a beer writer, but he was a journalist and a storyteller first. So I really think he captured so much more than just beer. He captured people in their lives, and I think that was his, his great great accomplishment. Well, I'll tell you. Also, um, we're looking forward to the film, and it's uh, John. How can people? So, so there's screenings going on now. I know we're doing the, the New York City premiere tonight, but in July, people can actually uh, buy the DVD for, for their own use. Correct? Yeah, we're. Um, uh, Putting together the final DVD, I'm trying to cram as much extra footage on there as I possibly can. There's so much I wanted to get into the movie that that I couldn't, and I'm getting you know last minute stuff sent to me of uh, people that want to say something about it. So it's you know it's taking a little longer, but uh, we should have the DVD burned and ready here in a few weeks. I wanted to you know get some screenings out there um, first and uh, before I release the DVDs because you know it's really special to go to a, a you know, somewhere with a crowd of people uh, watching the film. It's, it's pretty cool. So I wanted to make sure that we could, could get some of those out there, and then the DVD will be available. And then people are, you know, slowly finding out about the screenings, and we've got them going on all around the world. Sierra Nevada has been quietly supporting the project, and uh, I think your head brewer just bought a screening as well, so you should be seeing it out, out in Chico soon as well. Uh, they're doing it at the uh, the brewery in the big room? I, I haven't heard any details. Um, I just know that uh, somebody from Sierra Nevada got a, just purchased a screening recently, but All I'm right. not sure where. John, stay on be. there. So, Beer Hunter the movie it's, it's, it's coming out, and uh, you you can get it, and you can watch it hopefully in your local brewery or neighborhood. So, Jerry and Jam, we've got Sierra Nevada here. You guys are in New York. Uh, Saber's coming up this weekend. Um, tell me what what does Saber mean to you guys? And we got Michael Jackson. This this evolution of American craft beer that's really important. And, and Sierra Nevada is, is, is a big player. You know, tell me what, what what's going on with Sierra Nevada. You know, I I think one of the things that makes Saver so great with a with a brewery like Sierra Nevada is, you know, recently, and, and I think a lot of this was started by Brooklyn Beer and Garrett Oliver with f- food and beer pairing. And you know, it I think craft beer has really sort of evolved over time. It used to be like you know everything was dark and everything you know our pale ale at one time was the hoppiest thing you could get in the market for. For the most part, now you look at where flavor profiles have evolved and things like that, and people are realizing that the number of flavor profiles in beer just it pairs up with food so well. You know, like foods that you wouldn't think that you would normally go with, and and you know, I think the wine industry has capitalized so well on on sort of getting that that sort of niche in in there. And I think beer now is becoming is coming into its heyday in terms of food and beer pairing, and I think savor. Is one of those events that sort of really celebrates that, that that shows people that like, you know, you can sit home with a beautiful bottle of craft beer, you know, with the from the any number of breweries out there, and there's pretty much anything you want to cook, you can pair that food and that beer together, and it'll complement the flavors, and and more often than not, I think more than wine, and we just I think beer has not done the the best job of creating that sort of connection with people and i think savor and things like this and beer dinners and and things that people restaurants that you know blind tiger does where they pair food on and and beer on the menu is doing everything they can to sort of support that and what do you do i mean you're jerry we know you forever you're from sierra nevada you live in new york state well what's your job uh i'm the business development manager for for new york basically i have the state of new york as my my territory um and you know being uh, a brewery out of Chico, um, you know, each state has to have people that are good liaisons between the brewery, consumers, and our distributor network. So my job is essentially in with Jan. Uh, we go to the market and we make sure that the beer gets from the brewery to our distributor and the distributor into the uh, retailer's hand and then the consumer's hands. And we sort of follow that step every every step of the way. And I'm lucky enough that I, I get to travel this great state. I grew up in it and uh, I'm back and always wanted to live in Manhattan. How is your life going to change with a new brewery uh, down in North Carolina? Um, Less trips to Chico. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't have to wait three hours to call them for, in the morning. Um, 
you know, it, our, our new brewery in Mills River is on 190 acres. Um, you know, it, it's Mills River is becoming this sort of mecca, or, or Asheville is becoming this mecca for for beer. And it, it just, you know, is if you look at the lifestyle in Chico and the lifestyle in Mills River, um, they're very complementary. Um, I, I think for us in the sales department, um, you know, I think beer can get here quicker. Um, we can have like less inventory and things like that. And, and, you know, our, our footprint, you know, one of the pillars that Sierra Nevada has been built on is, is our, uh, commitment to the environment. And I think having a smaller footprint when we can get beer to consumers on the East coast is, is very important to Ken. You know, one, one thing about Sierra Nevada, I'd like to say this is that, you know, you guys have been doing this a long time and, and you're considered the second largest craft brewer in, in America, but at the same time. Uh, I, I trust you guys. Like when, when I go to, I mean, I'm spoiled. I hang out at Jimmy's Number Forty Three and Good Brazil Bars. I never, I get draft beer all the time. But when I actually have to go to a corner deli to get beer, if I see Sierra Nevada, I feel really good. And uh, the Torpedo IPA is something I always buy. And then just last week, I for the first time I had the Summerfest, the the the, the lager that you guys make, and I'm, I'm always happy getting it. So you guys have really created this, like yeah, it's like holistic. You know, you're 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 not a big brewery, and, and I don't think anyone should ever think that. You're the second largest craft brewery, but you're still nothing compared to like Anheuser Busch and, and these other really large breweries. Yeah, you know, it's like our our brewery was found on three principles, and one of them is is quality. Uh, another one is innovation, and um, you know, making world class beers and and going out and and really, you know. And helping the environment, and you know, when you when you have your bedrock principles based on those three things, um, you know, it's like we our quality assurance department, everything that you get out of the brewery, um, you know, is going to be top notch. And you know, we work very hard making sure that that the beer is brewed correctly, it's shipped correctly, it's stored correctly with the wholesaler, and then you know, you lose some of that touch when it gets out into the retail. And every day we go to market. You know, trying to help people, educate people, and let them know that, like, you know, don't let the beer get to your doorstep with the best quality in mind and then have it sort of lose it at, you know, just like doing a 100-yard dash and stopping at 90 yards. All right. So, and you also, you make all these different lines of beer. So, what beer are we drinking right now? Jan. So, this is the uh, Ovila series uh, that we have. It's a Saison brewed with mandarin oranges and peppercorn. All brewed on the uh, the premises of the New Clairvaux Monastery, which is about was it about a half hour north of uh, the Chico yeah, Brewery? Yeah, uh, twenty twenty five minutes. And basically, they grow all their fruits. Uh, they actually make wine um, on premise at the monastery. And with this Ovila series here, part of the proceeds is going to go to them to help them build an actual working brewery. And if that actually comes into fruition, will be the first. Um, it'll be the first working trappist run brewery in north america which which is huge awesome that's great and hey we've got an active person on twitter today maggie's here doing the at beer underscore sessions twitter um if if you know who the two founders of sierra nevada are you can say their name Tw- tweet it to at beer underscore sessions and you'll the first person to do that will win an i like beer beer sessions radio t-shirt all right we're gonna take a short break we'll be back in a few minutes on beer sessions radio You're listening to Leaving by Dead Stars on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Keep it locked for more Beer Sessions Radio. So, you like good beer? Whether you're a craft beer pro or just had your first sip of an IPA, GreatBrewers.com is your number one beer resource on the internet. GreatBrewers.com bridges the gap between the world's great brewers and the consumers who enjoy their products. With so much information and misinformation out there, GreatBrewers.com focuses on education and leaves no stone unturned. Take the Great Beer Test on their website and browse through an extensive product catalog. Download their mobile beer cloud app, which includes a GPS beer finder, a beer sommelier, and descriptions for over 5,000 different brews. What are you waiting for? Back up that passion for craft beer with some solid information and education. Visit greatbrewers.com today.
Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Dave Broderick from Blind Tiger, Jan and Jerry from Sierra Nevada, John Lombard from Be United, and our special guest, Katie Parler. Parler Italiano. Wow. Thanks. Well, Katie, you know, welcome. last he night... He never sings for anybody. Hey. I'm impressed. Well, we were, last night we had a great beer dinner at Jimmy's number 43, but, but since I've met Katie, Katie is probably the one person who's writing about beer in Italy who's also... Uh, Demanding excellence from these brewers, definitely. And we've done a couple of tastings so far. And, and last night, I'm going to tell you the beers that we had last night at Jimmy's Number Forty Three for the dinner. And John Lombard will back me up because this was probably the finest selection of Italian craft beers ever in America at a beer dinner. And I think so. We had Barley's Frisca, Almond Twenty Two's Farota, Lover Beers Beer Biera, Montegioco's Demon Hunter, and Grady Plato's Chocarubica. Excellent pronunciation. Yes. That might be the best Italian pronunciation I've ever heard. Really so, yeah. Katie, what, what is it? You, you, you're a, a, a travel writer. You've been living in Rome. You have a great app. Thanks. About Tell us the names of your apps. You have one for, for Rome and one for Istanbul. They're right? super creatively titled. They're called Katie Parla's Rome and Katie Parla's Istanbul. Right. So you get to eat and drink like I do. So so what is it about the Italian beer that you like? And, and you're also you're a critic. Like you want you want them to do better. You think that yeah, there's yeah, some that sure. aren't good and some are really good. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I have been in Italy for ten years. I write about food and, and wine, but I'm also a sommelier and a food historian. So I'm very interested in um, sort of weeding out quality and separating it from everything else. I mean, we've got hundreds and hundreds of craft breweries in in Italy. Um, and that paired with a culture that lacks criticism leads to a lot of beers being served that maybe aren't amazing. <laughs> um, and they're often served for the same price as these spectacular beers. So if you go to a place like Open Balladine, you pay five euros for a glass of spectacular beer or mediocre beer. Um, so I think it's, it's difficult for consumers to figure out exactly what's what because there are so many brewers and because there's so many... Um, beers produced by these brewers, a lot of seasonal things. So it's it's tough to figure out exactly how to drink things. Um, and so sort of what I try to do is guide people towards what I think are really excellent beers. So I was really excited to share Lover Beers, Beer Barra, um, with the people last night. So wh- wh- why did you pick this list? I mean, this is an amazing list of, of beers, all different styles. Well, I mean, I was really fortunate because Be United has this fantastic group of brewers um, that they uh, import and distribute. So I, I picked some of the Beers that I use in my own tastings um, in Rome, and I'm fairly obsessed with Monte Gioco and uh, and Lover Beer, two Piedmont-based brewers. Um, so I try to use their beers in uh, in my tastings, both in Rome as well as in New York. You know, our, at our last tasting in February, we had a tea beer from Monte Gioco, which is made with a Timoroso grape. We had um, Duva beer um, from Lover Beer, which is made with the Fraser grape. And I think it's also really interesting that you've got these Piedmont-based brewers who are doing a lot of things with fruit um, and to great effect. Really fantastic results. Well, John, you know, you're from Be United, and you guys are really the only importer bringing in this wide variety of specialty Italian craft beers. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's my, the owner and president of Be United, Mat- Matthias, um, really made, uh, really dedicated a lot of our resources to Italian beer, um, starting probably five or six years ago. And it's been a pretty major commitment, and we bring in probably, I think, uh, 13, maybe 14 breweries from Italy, which sounds like a lot, but of course, since 1996, there's over 300 breweries opened up in Italy, which is, you know, a piece of land the size of New York State. And we've we've been very, very happy with the breweries that we've partnered with. Um, they're on the whole making really spectacular, really unique products like nowhere else in the world. Um, yes, mostly located in Piemonte and but really coming from slow food and really using local ingredients and making beers that reflect local cuisine. You know, when we talk about brewers using fruit, um, one thing that's really fantastic coming out of Italy are beers that are actually, it's hard to call them beers. They're sort of beverages that are hybrids between beer and wine or beer, wine, and mead and using different sugar sources and really being inventive and creative in a way that's not really happening anywhere else on the planet. I think that's really a, a fantastic um, observation about Italian craft beer culture. I mean, in Italy, they've been making beer for almost 3,000 years. Um, so with three millennia of experience, but very little sort of artisanal experience, people are free to do what they want with the ingredients that they want. And there's this desperate drive to make beer, something that's personal, that both reflects the brewer as well as the territory that things come from. And that's certainly something that um, wine producers are, uh, excel at in, in Italy as well. Yeah, you know, talking to these Italian <laughs> brewers, one thing that we've, we said to them right off the bat is, where is this culture coming from? You guys don't have... 
this history of craft beer. You have a history of, you know, essentially lagers for the past several hundred years. So how, where is this coming from? You have no history. And they say, but that's it. We have no history. We can do whatever we want. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's fantastic because without history uh, or without, like, let's say, a, a long-established craft beer history, the, uh, the Italian brewers are able to make these um, – well, they're not exactly archaeological beers. For example, the Etrusca um, beer that, uh, that's a collaboration between Dogfish Head and Borgo and Baladine – um, I mean, that's a, an homage to an Etruscan style. An archaeolog- uh, um, molecular archaeologist went into the field, figured out exactly what ingredients Etruscans were using, and then using creativity and, uh, and a, a bit of um, local ingredients, they were able to produce this beer that evokes an ancient tradition, even though it's not verbatim. Sam, is, doesn't, I mean, <laughs> Dave, I'm thinking, Dave Rarick, Sam, Dave, doesn't Sam employ an archaeologist to, yeah. to check yeah, out? Yeah, he's got that guy from... Uh, Get his Dr. Name Pat now. McGovern. Yes, exactly. And, uh, and and I was actually going to say that I was just over in, in Rome in, in uh, March, and, and the thing that I noticed about the Italian beers, I've always noticed about them, is is how food, you know, they're very food friendly. Definitely. And uh, they're, they're very much designed to go uh, with food. They're not like super over, you know, they're not extreme necessarily. Um, they're very much designed to, to eat with. Yeah, and, well, I mean, we've got um, a couple of... Um, beers in, in front of us right now and it's sort of strange to see a, a 33 centiliter bottle in italy you find a lot of these like three quarter liter bottles and right. that was a decision made by brewers in the 90s to sort of posit beer as wine or something that was supposed to compete with wine or at least be on the same level as wine Here, uh, jerry from sierra nevada has a do, question do you, do you find that people in italy consumers or even the wine industry in italy i mean generally i think you think of italy and you think of you know you go to a restaurant you get like an unlabeled jug of wine and that's the culture do you find that that craft beer is sort of like you know the stepchild of of consumers minds or is is it embraced is beer embraced is like wine is embraced Uh, industrial beer is embraced everyone drinks industrial beer um i think the craft beer um industry though it's growing is still extremely minuscule and there's a certain demographic that appeals to there's a certain socioeconomic status that appeals to um, these beers are expensive they're not just pricey here in the states they're very expensive in italy and so you have a certain group that's drinking them um and certainly like the finer gourmet restaurants might have beers on the menu um but you know the the Katie, hold on one second john what was the first beer that you poured for us Oh, uh, the first beer that we had was from Bira del Borgo, located in Borgo, probably uh, half hour outside Rome. And it's the Reale Extra, which is um, a uh, special version of the Reale, which is their base I love, IPA. I love that beer. And Katie, so one thing I've heard is that uh, one reason the craft beer scene developed in Italy was that all the cool young guys were like, hey, why do I want to go to the Trattoria or the wine bar where my grandfather's hanging out? That well, I wanted to create, hang out in cool places that are, are new and different. Is yeah, that part I mean, of I the think, scene? I think that's certainly, well, well when Teo Musa talks about why he started making beer, he said, you know, my dad made wine, I want to do something different. And there is, I mean, certainly you nailed it, like you've got these young guys who are making beer, young guys who are drinking <coughs> beer, although now some young women are also involved. Um, there's, there's definitely a break with tradition. Young people in Italy don't want to be doing old-fashioned things, and drinking wine is an old-fashioned thing. Um, and about the you know the unlabeled wine jugs, not only is it illegal to serve those, people still do sometimes, but that's very low-quality stuff. It's very cheap, and that appeals to people on a budget, so does the industrial beer. All right. And then in Italy, so you, you, I know you do tours, but you're a writer for the New York Times as mm-hmm. well. But, but what, what pairings do you do? I mean, the pairing that you did last night was pretty great. I mean, it was so cool. She suggested the beers, and they said, well, the first course... We're going to have snacks, which is like antipasti. So we made totally. Toast. Well, I wanted to present a beer that is really drinkable without, with or without food. So I chose um, Frisca. The from, barley Frisca? From barley. And Frisca is based in southern Sardinia. And then the, the next course, I just love it because you translated Lucy. The next course, you were like soft cheese on toast. You know, I can pick the beers, but I'm not in charge of the kitchen. So, <laughs> And so because of, of you and, and, and wanted to impress you, I actually went to the Union Square Green Market, which I do often, but everything on that menu we got that day. And even the pesto, we had some uh, red dandelion mixed in with basil. You awesome. know, and, and the duck, it was like I went to Hudson Valley Duck, and Matt's like, oh, dude, this woman ordered 12 ducks and didn't show up. I'm like, I'll take them. That's so, so cool. And it went really well with the Demon Hunter. Yeah. And the last one was fun. The Grata Platos, I mean, I know some of the beers, uh, John... Grata Plato has the chestnut beer, which everyone loves. But this is the Chocarubica, which is like a carob beer. And Katie's like, you have to have it with food. So Definitely. we just had a simple like chocolate brownie. 
Yeah, chakarubika is made with um, carob and cacao. And also it's about 15% oat in the mash bill, which is really like a shockingly – I'm sorry. That's complete, 30%. I was going to say 30%. Just correct myself. 30% oat, which is um, – I remember when Sergio, the owner and brewmaster of Grau Plato, told that to Garrett Oliver. He couldn't believe it. I mean 30% oat. Just think about what that does to your filters. It's, I was going to say, it's that's, that's pretty hard to brew with. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah exactly. Um, and it's a beautiful, beautiful beer. Grado Plato is uh, actually a, um, sort of a, a brew pub. They're very known for their food and their cuisine. They're actually located in an old parking garage underground. It's unmistakable as a parking garage. But they're uh, most known for the snails. And when you go there, you can get snails six ways. And it's a, it's a pretty tremendous Katie, experience. Have you, have you visited many of these breweries? I have, but I've never been to, to Grado Plato. But, you know, I, I travel quite a bit for food and beverage. So, And it's, it's really fun because the brewers in Italy are incredibly open um, and, uh, and really excited to share what they're doing um, and really, like, happy to have input. So now you started doing food and tours and wine. Uh, how long have you been writing about beer in Italy? Um, I've been writing about beer in Italy maybe for, like, six years now. Um, and, you know, there are plenty of people writing about it in Italian. There aren't that many English-language resources. So what I like to do is provide people with really good addresses where they can go and they can drink. Rome is not a huge city in the grand scheme of things. So the app and, and my blog, Parla Food, also include transport information. So people can feel really comfortable, whether they're, like, beer pros or just um, dilettantes, going and asking questions and getting to these places that are usually outside of the center, though Open Balladine which I mentioned before, is certainly downtown. So if I wanted to go to Italy and learn about Italy, I should check out? Uh, Katie Parla's Rome, available in the App Store, All and right. also Parla Food. Well, hey, Katie Parla's not going anywhere, guys. And You have a lot of friends in America. I know our, our good friend Justin Kennedy, who's one of my favorite up-and-coming beer writers, he, what, he took a tour with you in Italy? or Yeah, he was, uh, he was in Italy and um, booked like a one-on-one tour, and it was amazing. We went to Open Balladine. Um, we talked about the cultural history of beer, which is a particular interest uh, of mine, talking about how it develops, why it develops, what we're drinking in Italy right now, and why we're drinking it. Um, and, yeah, we had a blast. It was really a lot of fun. Wow. And Justin's amazing. Let's hold on. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back. Dave, anything you want to say quickly? No. You're having fun, right? <laughs> I mean, what Just was listening. the last beer, John? What was this? Uh, the last beer we had was the 2011 Lover Beer uh, Beer Barra. Love that. Love a beer. All right. Great beer. Hey, we'll take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. This one's called Kill Me in the Summertime by Dead Stars on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Stay tuned, everybody. Like what you hear so far? Support the network and become a member. Membership helps us bring you the best food radio in the world and gives you access to thousands of dollars in discounts at the sustainably-minded businesses that support us. To become a member, visit heritageradionetwork.org today. Hey, welcome back. Ooh, who's this? Welcome back to Beer Sessions. Everybody say hello. How about this? Hey, Jim. Hello. Hi. Guys, this is, the, hey. this is like the best show ever. Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're here on Everbirders in Bushwick. Uh, I can't wait to eat tonight something like the Moe's Fun Mangalista Pork Collar. That's probably what I'm going to have tonight from our good friends at Moe's Fund in New Jersey. Well, this is an awesome show. Dave, you're up in Vermont doing Worthy Burger. And we're actually raising Mangalita pigs. Are you really? Yeah. At your farm? No, not my farm. But you're on your buddies. Eastman Farm. So you move, you're the... the Blind Tiger founder, owner. Yep. Everyone knows you. You're like the greatest figure in American craft beer. Yes, you are. Co-host of New York City Brewers Choice. And uh, you moved up mind. to Vermont. Yeah. So what do you guys do? You have a farm. Yeah. It's and mostly fruit. And all different kinds of you're fruit. You're making what? Kimchi with your wife? And kimchi. Yeah. Kimchi. Yeah. And you're getting hurt. You're doing physical. You know, 100 years ago, more people got injured in rural situations uh, because they're working on farms, and now that mo- most people don't work on farms, those like like maimings, you know, you lost an arm, you lost a leg. I mean, you've had some injuries working on the yeah, farm, I'm a, haven't you? Like, luckily, I'm a luddite, so I, I don't work with uh, moving parts and stuff. But yeah, no, I'm I'm constantly in pain. So you still yeah. have all your toes? I still have all yeah. my toes. <laughs> 
Mostly it's sunburns and I think if you're like five years old working on a cotton reaper or something, you know. Yeah, no, it's and 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 definitely uh, there there is a lot of crazy machinery up there, and people getting hurt. But uh, it's not like an oil rig or anything like that. Um, I've been pretty lucky, but no, it's it's mainly just backbreaking. It's like one of the hardest farming is brutal. But you know what you did before you did that when you had blind tiger. I mean, guys like you know Sierra Nevada. You know, Smutty Nose, there's so many of these great American craft, craft breweries and, and tying into Sabre this weekend. I mean, they all came through you, and, and you promoted so many of them. You did so many nights. I mean, you used to do, like, tap takeovers, didn't you? We did. When it yeah. was out, before it was outdated. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And it was, and that's a lot of work, you know, when you give over, like, 28 lines and, and plus your casks. I mean, it's, it, Oz was, <laughs> Oz's back is still um, recovering from, from I, I remember, years. like, two years ago at, at one of the New York City Brewers' Choice, uh, Terrence, uh, the brewer from Sierra Nevada came out, which is pretty awesome, and your buddies with him. Tell us about a, a night at Blind Tiger with Sierra Nevada that you can remember. Um, well, we, we've had a lot of great ones, and uh, Terrell and Terrence, uh, I mean, they would just definitely hold court, and uh, it was always, uh, you know, I, I definitely miss those days. It was it was a lot of fun, and, and it was great for when CBC was out, and uh, Crapper's Conference was out in San Francisco. Um, it was great for uh, we we did it at um, Toronado instead, which is one of my favorite places, and um, and those two holding court there and, and hanging out and Ken came by Ken Grossman, uh, it was definitely one of the best nights of my life. And Jerry, you, you've been how, how long have you been working for Sierra Nevada? Uh, I've been with them five years now. Five years. Now. And what yeah. was your first job with them? Uh, this BDM uh, business development manager in New York. Um, uh, I've been in the beer industry now almost seven, 17, 18 years. I started in Colorado as a brewer. Uh, for Rock Bottom Breweries for a number of years, and then uh, worked for New Belgium, and then uh, wanted to get my way to New York, so I've been with Sierra Nevada. And I was going to say, like, you know, I, I've been in the – when I started brewing um, in the early 90s, you know, Great American Beer Festival just, like, it, you know, it was going and it was big. And, you know, you think about some of the sort of iconic bars in the country that really promoted craft beer and, you know, yours yours definitely one of them the blind tiger you think of the falling rock tap house you think of monks you think of tornado you think of some of these places that really were paramount and you know i think earlier of talking about michael jackson but you know the 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 proliferation of of craft brew and where we are today is there's a lot of legs to that stool and one of them is is you know pioneers like yourself in terms of the number of beers you would have on draft and in in promoting some of these beers that people were like you know what is that you know it's like oh my gosh it's so dark or it's so hot you're you're awesome and you you really have like this chart of this course through the craft beer industry and and we're celebrating in new york this weekend in saver and we're looking back at michael jackson but the thing that michael jackson didn't didn't really get to see is the the development of, of craft beer in other countries like italy I mean, when he died, I think that people were just starting to really embrace, you know, craft beer in America. And um, what's going on? Well, you know, when it's it's funny when um, at the time that Michael Jackson passed, we were actually starting to have conversations with him about the developing scene in Italy, and he was very very excited about. It. But um, obviously, he passed before he had a chance to write about it extensively. But he was aware of that. But what's happened since 2007, 2008. There's been obviously tremendous, tremendous growth all over the world. So, Katie, next summer, let's, let's say we plan a beer trip to Italy. Mm-hmm. And you would give us a tour. Like, pick five breweries that we should go to and tell us the towns they're in and the local color. You, well, of course, we'd have to start in Piedmont. Um, I mean, I, I sound like a broken record here, but, like, Lover Beer and Monte Gioco are spectacular. Um, Balladine is essential. I mean, that's where everything started. And what towns are they in? Um, Do they have towns? They, of course, have towns. So, for example, Lover Beer is based in... Um, they don't write it on the bottle. Sorry. We, we, met, we met one of the brewers from Baladin. He said the town he lived in had 800 inhabitants, including chickens and pigs. In the province of Cuneo, I think, or Torino. Yeah. So he doesn't have a town. He lives in a province, you know? That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these are small towns. Is that, is that kind of like Chico? Was Chico like that back when they started Sierra Nevada? Yeah. They, they always had a university, so they weren't. Yeah, there was always a university. There, there was more people than chickens. Probably brewing other things there besides beer. Yeah. But, um, you know, a question for Italy. Is, is Italy as diverse? You know, if you look at the United States and you think of, like, the, the West Coast, Oregon, you look at, you know, Colorado, you look at, you know, New York, and you look at places like that, is Italy sort of diversified in terms of, where, where the craft beer is, like, do they do they see that? 
as a country like that, like, oh, go to the West Coast or go to the East Coast or go to the central part of Italy for your good craft beers? Well, I think most people encounter craft beers at craft beer pubs. So in that case, like Rome is certainly a consumption center. Um, You've got lots of festivals going on all over the country, and there are breweries in every single region. So while Piedmont is sort of synonymous with the the birth of the movement and the continuity of the quality, I think you can go to like the south of Sardinia, near Cagliari, visit Barley, and certainly uh, certainly enjoy things in areas that you w- might not n- might not necessarily um, expect. You know, the other thing about Italy is that the scale of production we're talking about is far smaller than anything we see in the U.S. Um, the largest craft breweries in Italy would barely be above nano, you know, as far as sort of U.S. designations. Um, and also a lot of them are brew pubs. A lot of them also are very concerned about food and cooking food and serving food and trying very much to have their beer and their beer culture reflect the local food culture and local ingredients. And that's certainly how Balladine got started. So so question maybe for Dave. Like, you know, you've been in the industry how many years now? A really long time. Yeah, really? So, um, you know, if you think about... You know, like a, a brewery like Sam Adams, Brooklyn Beer, Sierra Nevada. Do you think, and you know, you work for a wholesaler as well, um, importer. importer. Um, do you do you think that the industry is in such a way that, like, you know, sort of a big brewery capturing so much piece of the market is still possible in the U.S.? I mean, it's like it seems like everybody's scrambling for like three percent because, which is great because there's thousands of breweries now and 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 it's almost becoming where new york city now has many local breweries and you know bronx is now local whereas you know five years ago local was you know maybe uh, 30 square mile and actually uh, i can answer that really quickly at at craft beers conference in dc this year um the uh, one i went to one of the seminars and they said you know while 90 percent of the sales are the top 200 breweries in the united states 90% 90% of the growth is in the other 2,000. and um, so it's, so it's brew pubs and nano breweries. It's, it's the small happening. breweries is where those are the ones that are taking off, and I think you know that's what's going on in Italy. Um, and so I think it's, it's this interesting dichotomy between the, you know, uh, what's going on in terms of these larger, bre- you know, larger craft breweries and then these smaller ones. Yeah, but let's, really let's, we're going to hit something on the nail. One thing with the Italian craft breweries... And I, I agree, there are brew pubs and nano breweries, and that's what we all love. I mean, in New York City, there's some, you know, five-week gastrobrewery, and even Beer Craft, our buddies in Brooklyn, are going to be a licensed restaurant brewery very soon. But in Italy, why are the beers so damn expensive? You know, there's a couple reasons for that, one of which is scale of production. The Italian I mean, government, no. Well, that's a, that's okay. a second reason. But as far as scale of production, when you're dealing with a brewery that small, it is very difficult to keep costs down. Um, but... Uh, Another reason for the sort of very high price that we see in the U.S. is that Italian law um, essentially taxes beer for export double. So they're charged. But it's expensive in Italy, too. But I think, I think, it's, a com- I think it's a that, combination you know, of like the, the, the I, cost to enter business is very high, but there's also a concerted decision on the part of the brewers to keep their prices high in order to perpetuate that idea of a luxury good. So they, they want to make it so, – if I understand is they want their large bottles of beer to be priced similarly to a bottle of wine. Well, okay, so is that true? So let's say um, tea beer, which I served at the last tasting, that's twenty two bucks here in New York retail. It's probably like around eighteen euros or something in Italy. Most people buy four euro bottles of wine. That's what people drink. And of course, there are exceptions, but the, in the grand scheme of things, Italians don't drink expensive wine. So getting them to purchase something that's eighteen euros, you're already targeting a very specific um, type of consumer with a lot of disposable income. There are craft brewers, of course, their dimensions are growing, that are doing like more sort of industrial-geared beers. So, what, so there's really great Italian craft beers that you guys bring in. And this is my theory, is that they're called fancy beers, right? And, you know, and that's, that's a true. Every once while I've tweeted, and I've said, oh, I'm drinking, it's fancy beer alert, and, and, I, and I'm, I'm drinking a certain beer. And I think a lot of these Italian craft beers I would consider fancy beers. Totally. They're beers that I, I, I would pay for more. I would drink on special occasions. And, and that's okay, creating The same as you guys from Sierra Nevada. Like, what was that last one? The La Momia? Is that one of yours? La or was that a, that's an Italian, yeah, Italian that's beer. from Monte Gioco. I thought so, because that was funky. That doesn't taste like Sierra Nevada. But the other ones, the Ovilla, that's almost, it's like a fancy beer. It's like almost a Trappist beer. And you guys are you guys are making that in California. So I think there is this market for fancy beers. Like earlier, we were drinking Peekskill IPA. To me, that's a fancy beer. Like this isn't like your regular plum. And, 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 and you know, Italian beers are uh, price wise the very 
top of the high-end beer market. Um, but one thing I see that's really a very positive development is that a lot of the bigger Italian craft brewers are working very hard to bring their prices down, um, very effectively to bring their prices down, and we're working with them on some ways to do that. At the same time, the higher end of the American craft beer market is getting more and more and more, more expensive. And more expensive. And, yeah, and when I was in Italy, I, I, I drank a lot. I mean, it was five and six euros for a, a glass of beer. I thought that was totally – I mean, these beers were amazing. I thought that was totally – that's no more expensive. It's less than here at a lot of our beer bars and stuff. So I, I didn't find – I was shocked at how inexpensive the beers were in Italy. When The I incomes was, are much lower. Yeah, so I mean, I mean I would, the average income in Rome is twelve hundred euros a month. So. Exactly. So I was, I thought it was actually. It's mostly, I think, when it, you know, gets double taxed when it leaves the country. No, no, it's really here. expensive to purchase it, like off the shelf. It's 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 expensive to bring it to. to yeah. So, but at the beer it. bars, it's that's why the beer bars good. are. That's why yeah. the beer bars are not packed. You know, one hundred percent of the time, because it appeals to a very specific consumer. And where and, their grandfathers aren't. Exactly. For their uncles. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Katie, one, one, another props to Katie uh, at Katie Parla. You know, I, I have a lot of respect for you. And even she was actually, the truth was, she was here for the first segment and we pretended she wasn't. But she was furiously writing these notes. And, and you're a writer as well. So what, what, are, your, what are your notes that you're going to read to us? So if you're wondering why um, the Etrusca Bronze is not a very uh, affordable beer, it's because they employed a molecular archaeologist <laughs> in the process of creating it. Um, it was fermented. Or rather, the the production incorporated a bronze plate, which was brought in to the modern stainless steel um, container during during the brewing process. Uh, it employs two row malted barley, myrrh resin from Ethiopia, um, chestnut honey from Italy, pomegranate juice. I mean, this isn't a simple. You know what we're going to do? In a couple of months, we're going to get some of the top American craft beers and some of the top Italian craft beers. And we're going to sit down and have a summit. About There's going to be food. We've got to do that. Well, you know, <laughs> a, a month from now, moment. what we can do is taste the dogfish Etrusca with, next to the Baladin Etrusca next to the Del Bordo Etrusca. Because we'll have the imported ones in about a month. I, I think, you know, listening to that description, I think one of the most fascinating things in beer now is – you know how far back it goes in history and how many sort of elements if you would like how many different things people are using in beer to brew it and to bring out certain flavors and it's 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 mind numbing you think and you know sam has has been a, a a huge factor in terms of, of of doing that in the brewing process you know i, I talk about this all the time I, I you know i trained as a sommelier and worked in the specialty food industry for a long time and it's so key, the difference between beer and wine. Wine is agriculture. It's your terroir. It's your earth. It's your weather. It's what grapes can survive there and what happens to the grapes that you plant. And beer is cooking. Beer is, I'm going to get the best ingredients from all over the world. I'm going to hand select my grains, hand select my hops. I'm going to deionize and maybe you know treat my water in certain ways and pick the yeast strain I want. And it's very, very much craft. Absolutely. Yeah, you think about like Burton and Trent. I mean, it's like when you think about that, it's like people trying to like replicate water chemistry to to brew at home. And you know, when you you think about that, and then we get back to things like food and beer pairing, and you think of things that you can do in the kitchen. That's why I think opening up that like favorite beer that you have in the cupboard with you know something you're cooking that night just is is almost better than doing it with wine. I'm getting hungry, Katie. Let's wrap this up. Let's just give us your wrap up. Um, so I would encourage people to talk to their local um, pub owners, find out where you can drink these beers when new new uh, kegs are coming in, um, because you can drink some really fantastic beers. And, you know, thanks to Be United, you've got these fantastic right. brewers who are available. And Jan, uh, Sarah Nevada, tell us again, what, what are you guys doing at Savor in New York this weekend? So at Savor, we'll have the Hoptimum and the Ovila Saison brewed with mandarins uh, being served. We'll also have a whole slew of events coming um, into town Thursday night. We're doing a thing at Pony Bar where Brian and Steve Grossman will be in town to answer all your questions about the new brewery and what's going on. Who's Steve Grossman? Ken's brother. He has a brother? Come on. And Dave, what's going on with you? we got Main Beer Company tomorrow with David Cleveland. And, uh, at Blind Tiger. At Blind Tiger. And uh, Brewer's Happy Hour on Friday, right before Saver. And then Sam... Uh, in the house on Saturday morning. And Jerry, any plugs My for My final Sarah? words, uh, no, stop saving those beers in your cupboard and drink them. All right. 
And hey, for Saver, too, Jimmy's number 43 this weekend. You can check out some of the new small breweries from Long Island. Barrier Bre- Oh, actually, this is, this is actually amazing news. Carton Brewing from New Jersey and Barrier Brewing collaborated on a, 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 a Saver special collaboration. It's like the Saver Saison. They'll be at Jimmy's number 43 uh, Friday, 5 o'clock. And then uh, Saturday night after Saver, if you're doing nothing, come with the guys from Port Jeff, a great brew pub in uh, Long Island, and they'll be uh, closing out Saver at Jimmy's number 43. All right, so this is a great show. Uh, hate to cut it short, but you know what? We've got to do that. Tonight is the New York City premiere of Beer Hunter movie again. By the time you hear this, it may have been over, but there's other chances. But just go Google it. Beer Hunter movie. John Rich has put a lot of time and money into this. He got to hang out with Michael Jackson. If you don't know who Michael Jackson was, well, he's a whiskey writer and a beer writer. You really should. And I think that between that and the publication of Tom Acatelli's Audacity of Hopes, Audacity of Hops, excuse Oops. me, Mr. President. But you've got to go out and, and learn about beer. I mean, American craft beer history is going back to the 70s. It's time we check it out. And Sabres here this weekend is a good time to learn about American craft beer history. So go to goodbrazil.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors at greatbrewers.com. We haven't said too much about them tonight, but so many of the beers that we're drinking, uh, either from Italy or Sierra Nevada, do come through greatbrewers.com. And if you like this podcast, give us a good review on iTunes and check us out on Twitter at beer underscore sessions. Thanks to us. See if I got everybody here, Jerry Jan, John Katie and John, and Dave. For joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network, I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Jack Inslee, Brie O'Connor, and our engineer, Joe Galarraga. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.